All right. I'm thankful for those, those musicians and those guys that uh, I was going to go through the songs uh, with them earlier this morning, but my printer jammed, and I was at home, ah, and I just got here. So I just said, okay, key of G, follow me for the changes. Here we go. Try to keep up. No, no they, they did a good job. I mean, you know, just winging it like that and all. Um, hey, how are you guys doing? You know what's, uh, I love these, by the way, these uh, men's morning uh, ironwork times. Um, but what I like even more is um, uh, my wife has heard from several of your wives. And they're like, what are you doing to our husbands? This is great. Like, like I've, I've actually heard good reports on some of you guys. Like, you're getting an A. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, you know, last week, was it last, last time we talked about honoring your wife? And, um, and that's something that uh, I've noticed men don't talk that much about, even though the Bible is one of the big ones. Uh, you know, that there, when we were reading our last time, our text was that we were to dwell with your wives according to knowledge, um, as it says there, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, weaker meaning <clears throat> more beautiful, more fragile, but also uh, um, a place of honor. It's not, a, it's not a disrespectful thing, you know, to say that the woman is the weaker vessel. It's, it's actually quite the opposite. And so we were talking about honoring our wives. We even kind of kicked some ideas around together and, um, and came up with some ideas and uh, it's neat because I have heard from several, uh, several sources that uh, the, the gals are being blessed, and that's really cool. Um, questions for you guys, um, now that you've had time to kick it around for a while and practice. If you're a married guy, if you're not a married guy, man, tune in. You're getting freebies here, man. If you're a, a guy who's maybe going to be married someday, uh, take, take it all in because uh, you'll be way ahead of the game if you're taking in some of this stuff. But um, what, here's a question I want to ask. Why are men generally grouchy toward their wives? Sin. That's exactly right. Uh, we are sinful beings. That's probably the best answer right there, sin. Uh, have you thought about that question? Okay, now let me, let me make it a little more personal. Why are you grouchy? <laughs> or maybe mean-spirited or argumentative or whatever we do that's not dwelling in the eyes according to knowledge, giving honor to your wife. You know, something that's honored, like I've seen the way we treat things that we really honor. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a funny thing what, what, what guys do when they get stuff they really want to take good care of. Um, man, I, I remember a guy came up to a job site and my dad and I, we've always been into cars and my dad always was into racing and cars and motorcycles and all that stuff. We love that stuff. Uh, probably to a fault. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, my poor dad, he's always, like, over the years, always had to kind of curtail his racing and, and get rid of cars. And I don't know why my mom always accepted the motorcycle thing. Uh, and, um, and my dad just said, okay, if she's, if she's good with that, I'll do the motorcycle thing. And so, um, you know, he's got this Yoshimura GSXR Suzuki. Uh, it's, a, it's a Yoshimura engine put in a Jixxer. If you're a bike guy, you kind of know what that means. But Stage two. It was actually my dad's bike was featured in Motorcycle USA in a shootout between a Ducati, Suzuki, Yamaha, and um, Honda. And uh, I was down in New Mexico. Uh, and they they um, put his bike up against all these other bikes. It was basically the rule is uh, you take a stock bike and you can put any part you want as long as you can get that part from a store. You can't have a factory part that's unavailable. 
And you can buy a Yoshimura engine from Japan if you really want to. And um, uh, so anyway, my, my dad's bike was uh, raced up against these guys with test riders and stuff. And uh, my dad's won the shootout. And basically, the magazine article said, this is the fastest thing on two wheels. Now, this is funny because uh, my mom, she, she's like, oh, I love the motorcycle thing is great. And, and I, like, I'd come home, you know, uh, and visit my mom. I'm like, where's dad? And she, she'd say, oh, he's just out for a putt. <laughs> uh, putt. Um, now, let me just define putt. You know, um, when I think of putt, I think of, I used to have this old uh, thing with Kirk Daly, this, this um, thing we called a tote goat. Does anybody know what a tote goat is? They were like kind of a motorcycle, but like, it's like, that's putting, putting. <clears throat> the Jixer with the Yoshimura engine, you know, like a stock Jixer, 12,000, 13,000 RPMs is where you start getting into the, the power band. With a Jixer motor, it's like 14, 15, 16,000 RPMs is where it starts to really get into a sweet, sweet spot. So putt is not necessarily the term. Uh, maybe scream. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I don't know why I'm going off on this one, but um, so so my mom and my wife and my kids we were all driving. We just we were just leaving um, Grandma's house, and we were getting ready to go into Jacksonville, and um, and uh, Debbie's up in the front with me, and and uh, and Joey Joey's right behind me, and all of a sudden we see off on the straight stretch we see this little dot of a bike coming the opposite direction, and all of a sudden it's just Tow! it was like that. It was that's all you saw. And my wife goes, that guy was flying. I said, man, he sure was. And Joey and I looked at each other. <laughs> you remember that, Joey? <laughs> we didn't say anything. Um, must be Grandpa Todd out for a putt. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've always loved, you know, and when you have like a dirt bike or, or something that you're really into, you always take good care of it, and you make sure it's all clean and happy, and, you know, everything's uh, just dialed right in. I remember this guy drove up to the drop site, and this, this, he had a beautiful Corvette uh, that was newly painted, and he had this pearl-essent paint job that, you know those paint jobs that look like they're like four inches thick, uh, and you just have that clear coat and everything? And this, this was probably the most beautiful paint job I'd ever seen on a car. Uh, and um, it was kind of this pearlescent white color. And uh, um, I was like, wow. And I was just a kid. My dad and I, we walk up, and the guy, there's a whole crowd around at the job site. And they're like, wow, look at this car. Right at that moment, he was parked under a pine tree. And a pine cone fell from the tree. I'm not kidding you. Uh, and it wasn't one of those dried pine cones. It was one of the really wet, heavy ones. You know which ones I'm talking about? The way that they weigh a ton? This thing fell right on the center of the hood and dented the hood and took a huge chunk out of the paint. It was like, we all just stood there, stunned. It was like, oh, you know, and, and, and uh, the poor guy, like, literally, I think I saw a tear, like, going down his cheek. It was like a really, really a tough thing. But, but um, you know, it, it's funny because um, that's kind of the imagery when it says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. You know, that man, you don't want the pine cone falling on her. And sometimes you and I, we're the pine cone. <laughs> you know, we're the one who's denting and, and treating our wives like we would some guy on a job site some, someplace. And so, man, I want to remind you, don't lose that one. The, the honor your wives. Man, this is the one you and I need to be working on to the day we die, is to learn how to be gentle and kind, uh, loving to our wives, um, putting her ahead of ourselves, uh, you know, really, that's what it means to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, giving sacrificially, uh, uh, unconditionally, giving. 
uh, dying on the cross, even as we are to die to ourselves. Um, it's, it's a hard thing. And, the, and, and I, I think the answer to that question of why are we grouchy with our wives or why do we argue with our wives, um, I think the answer is not always because we have a good argument. I mean, uh, if, if I asked you guys to think what your last big argument was about, most of you probably couldn't even remember what it's about because it wasn't important, right? We spend five bucks on a five-cent argument with our wives, and, and why did we do that? It's just kind of stupid, really, that we, that we try to defend ourselves or stand up for ourselves, and uh, we're called to, to truly die to ourselves. That's kind of the key right there. Um, so keep, keep working on that. Keep chipping away at that. And, um, and, and, and really, if you really think about it, here's this lady who chose to live with you for the rest of your life. I don't even know why Debbie even had to pray about that one. Like, like why would, I don't even want to live with myself. Why would she want to live with me? And here's this beautiful lady who just uh, says, I'll spend my life with you. And um, why wouldn't I treat her in the most careful, uh, more than any dirt bike or motorcycle or Corvette or whatever a person has, uh, way more gentle and, and do, do maintenance and make sure that I'm, I'm you know, doing the things that make her happy. Uh, why, why wouldn't we do that? Um, and uh, happy wife is a happy life. That's what they say. It's true. Now, um, so that's something I want you guys to keep chipping away at, keep working on. Uh, it's huge. I, I'd love it if Athey Creek was the, was the church that became known for, man, if you go to, if you go to Athey Creek, the guys are going to be all over each other just reminding each other, hey, man, make sure and just, just treat your wife uh, just with great love and care, dying to yourself. Man, if we could become the church that does that. Now, shifting gears, um, a little bit, but at the same time, uh, linked to that, uh, when, one of the problems with the church, the greater church in America, is that um, I, I, I witnessed, uh, even as a little kid growing up, the feminizing of the church. Uh, have you guys seen that? Have you noticed that? Now, now, if you go to Athey Creek, uh, you don't see it as much here. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll tell you what happened to, um, a few years back. I remember uh, somebody came and accused Athey Creek of having, that church has too much testosterone. That's what somebody said to me. And um, I don't know where they got that. Uh, but, but, but I, it, you know, I, I was trying to look concerned as they were yelling that at me. Um, but in my heart, I was like, yes. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I really was. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Because um, in, in, I remember as a kid, as we traveled around, and my dad from town to town doing bridges and dams and constructions and stuff, uh, construction sites, we, um, we'd bounce around from church to church. And, and I was always kind of amazed at how it was always the women teaching the Sunday school. It was the women doing all the work. Um, you know, they were the thing, that the, the, they were the ones who made the church function, the, the women in a lot of these churches that we'd go and visit. And uh, sure, there might be a man pastor, but man, everything else was covered by the ladies. And, uh, and, and, and because of that, I think a lot of my younger buddies that I'd see in Sunday school, a lot of them growing up in a single mother home, they only had women to look to and, uh, in the Sunday school teaching them and, and stuff like that. And it just, it just you know, they, it all became, uh, you know, a real sensitive uh, nurturing kind of place. In fact, I, I don't know, maybe because the, the women were so prominent in the church, um, I think pastors started catering more to women in their sensitivities, in their sermons, and what they talked about. 
Um, and I think that was a big goof. Now, now let me just tell you something. I, I have not calculatedly said, I'm going to be a pastor of a man church. I didn't say that. That wasn't my goal. I didn't think about it, honestly. Um, but but let, me, let me say this. You know, when I tell a gross story about something, and, and, and then I realize that there's women gasping in the church, and you guys are like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I can see it. It's so funny. Uh, but let me just tell you, um, uh, once in a while I'd have a woman come up and say, Brett, you shouldn't be talking like that, you know, or you shouldn't say something about that. And, and it's at the same time, I, I always want to be respectful toward the ladies in our church, but at the same time, one of the things I, I really want us to do is, is not forget that the Bible is, is really rough. Like when you read the Bible, uh, there's places as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you just can't avoid it, you know. Um, we got one coming up here in Samuel where David gets really ticked off. And it's always, it's always embarrassing talking about this with, with, on a Wednesday night with all the congregation here. But David's so mad, he says, I'm going to kill everybody with the edge of the sword, everyone that pisseth against the wall. Can you say that in church? It's in the Bible. It's, it's, the, it's God's holy word. Like, and there's a ton of that stuff. Um, I mean, there's stories that are just, and, and I guess uh, um, it wasn't calculated, but I, didn't, I wasn't smart enough. That's the truth. I wasn't smart enough to pull up on those things. I just kind of said, well, here's what the Bible says. And, and some people left angrily and stuff. And I can't believe he's talking about that. But, but, but man, there's kind of no subject that's, uh, I, I think that's the problem is um, churches and pastors became so sensitive and nurturing, which we definitely need that. I'm not putting that down. That's important in the church. But at the same time, uh, the church needs to deal with the subjects that are in the Word. And, and sometimes it gets kind of brutal and, and actually um, harsh even at times. And so I, I think that what, what has happened is the feminization of the, of the church at large, it's become kind of a, a woman's religion. You know, of all the religions in the world, Christianity has way more women. In fact, the statistics are kind of brutal um, the, the, as far as uh, attendance. Uh, for every uh, six women in the church, there's four men. Uh, that, that are going in, in the church in America. So the ratio is pretty different. Uh, but also when it comes to uh, family trends, uh, by, by a long shot, it's the wife bringing the kids to church and the, the father who's staying at home watching sports on Sundays. And that's just the, the, the stats, or, or they don't lie. Um, and so the problem becomes, uh, why, why aren't men really plugged into the church of Jesus Christ like they should be? And uh, that's why I think when I heard that Athey Creek has too much testosterone, I was like, that's a good thing. Um, and uh, and I, I think it's good, not because I want us to be, uh, you know, yeah, man, yeah, all right, this is awesome, guys rule. None of that. Uh, um, I, I just think that we already have women who just love Jesus and are nurturing and sensitive. We, we have that. That's good. Check. But finding good, solid men who are willing to worship Jesus, to pray, to get in the Word, that's something you don't see everywhere or all the time. And uh, man, I'm really thankful that Athey Creek's got a bunch of guys. Um, I guess some of it was calculated. Like, for example, you'll notice our children's ministry has a lot of guys involved. And, uh, and that's, that's uh, intentional. We, we meant to do that um, because uh, we want our young boys growing up with some great examples, especially, especially uh, the, the young boys that have a single mom who's trying her hardest to raise a kid. Um, so this idea of, of being a man in the church and, and, uh, and, and really being a godly man, though, that's, that's the important part. 
uh, it's funny as a pastor, one of the things you, you bump into is the people that shouldn't be listening are, and the people that aren't listening should be. Um, what do you mean? Well, when we talk about stuff like man stuff or manliness, um, maybe, you, maybe some of you guys read that book, Wild at Heart. Uh, and let me just say, there's some good stuff in there. But from my perspective, the men who were reading that shouldn't have. They were already wild at heart and kind of lame at heart too. And they're like, yeah, man, we can rock and roll. We can do it. Ah, go out and climb and, and, and just bust it out. We'll be, you know. And then, but then the guy, and they were, they were already like way too much. And they were already kind of mean to their wives. And they were just kind of being man's man in kind of the worst sense. But the guys that should have been reading it, like they needed to bump up a little bit in their manly, you know, behavior. Um, they, they weren't reading it. And it was kind of a funny thing. I've noticed that certain people are attracted to certain things. And, and, and if you're not just not into it, you're just not going to read it. Um, so what do you do? Well, that's why we stick with the Word of God. Um, the Word of God is that perfect balance, no matter who you are. You might be a man's man. You might be like Jacob in the Bible, who was uh, the one that God loved, who was a smooth man who liked to cook in the kitchen. And, you know, uh, the Lord says, I like that guy. Uh, it's funny how the Lord has a different economy than we do. However, I'd like to review with you guys this morning um, <clears throat> a list that, that I like to go through sort of regularly in my own life. Uh, I love the lists of the Bible. They're great checkpoints and to say, okay, how am I doing? And the list that we have is found in 2 Timothy. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite lists uh, I like to look at. Uh, it's, it's 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, let's just kind of consider what Paul tells young Timothy. Man, you find all kinds of good stuff, especially if you're a young man in here. And especially if you're a young man who's inclined toward ministry. First and Second Timothy should be your uh, sort of owner's manual or your guidebook. If you're a young man who's looking in ministry, Paul the Apostle pulls out all the stops and says, here's what a man who's ministering, here's what a godly man's doing, what he looks like, what he should be thinking about. It's all right here in First and Second Timothy. So I love that. <clears throat> but it's almost like Paul sat down young Timothy and said, okay, I'm going to give you some some good meaty stuff here to think about. And it starts in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So if you'll pause right there, if you're taking notes, number one, uh, Paul tells young Timothy, you are to be a steward. A steward. Uh, what's a steward? Uh, one who cares for something, uh, is in charge of something, the, the steward. Um, and, and what is he to be a steward of? He says, be strong in... Now, wait, if you're Paul and you're going to tell young Timothy to be strong in something, what would you tell him? Would you say, be strong in your faith, or be strong in boldness and sharing the gospel, or be strong in running from sin and being pure? What would you say? It's interesting to me that Paul says, be strong in grace that is in Jesus Christ. That, that's a huge thing. I hope all of us are strong in grace. Now, right there, it kind of blows the, uh, the ogre man's man out of the water, right out of the gate. You know, I'm a man, man, I can be tough and I can, you know, yell at people and I can boss my wife around. Bzzz. 
The very first thing on the list that he's supposed to be strong in is grace. Isn't it interesting that um, when Jesus spoke, they, they marveled at his gracious words, it says. That's what he was known for, gracious words. And again, that's part of being the husband, the father, the guy that we need to be. And it's hard work to remember, oh man, I got to be gracious. I got to speak, season my words with grace. Make sure that, now what is grace? Undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. So some of you might be saying, that's great. You got a great wife. Good for you. But my wife, she nags at me or she yells at me for keeping my socks thrown on the floor or she, you know, does this or that or the other thing. But see, that's not what grace is. Grace kind of looks way past that stuff and just loves for the sake of loving. It's not looking for a reciprocal uh, love. It's just saying, nope, uh, I'm going to choose to love with an agape, perfect, Christ-like love because that's what grace is. Undeserved, unearned favor uh, and love that the Lord gives to us, even though we don't deserve it. The Lord is gracious to us. And so we are to love our wives as Christ loves us. And that, that's gracious love. Wouldn't you agree? Hard, hard call, though. That's a hard thing to do. It's not in our nature as men to be strong in grace. But I find it interesting. Now, Paul's not talking just about marriage. He's also talking about just the overall dude, the guy in the church. He's, what is he supposed to be strong in? Grace. And again, let's ask ourselves. This is something I really hope with these men's studies that we're actually really asking ourselves personally, how am I doing personally on this? Are you a gracious man? Or are you the kind of guy that likes to complain about everybody else and how this and that doesn't work out and those people are stupid and can't believe they did that? And uh, Don't be the guy that's always moaning and groaning, griping and grumbling, murmuring against this or that or the other thing. Be a gracious, big-hearted, kind-spirited person because that's who God is. Um, do you guys know men like this? There's certain men that are just really good at just being big-hearted and gracious. Um, you know, uh, it's so easy to be a sin sniffer and a fault finder, uh, iniquity inquisitor. It really is. It's, that's easy peasy, man. It's easy to find faults in everybody. And, um, and it's always amazing to me that, uh, that we as men forget what the church is made up of. Uh, you know, have you ever been to a store where there's the scratch and dent table? Uh, and, uh, you know, there's always stuff. And when you buy something from the scratch and dent table, uh, you know what you're getting. You're getting something that's flawed. You know, you're getting something that's got a big scratch or a dent. And, uh, and you're, you know you're not going to get your money back if you buy it. They're saying it's as is, take it or leave it. And if you buy it, it's yours, but don't expect too much out of it. Um, but I want to remind you, the whole church, that is the scratch and dent table right there. You're, you and I are all scratch and dent. And so when you see the scratch or the dent or the thing that doesn't work, why in the world would we be shocked or want our money back or criticize the person? Because you got your own scratches and dents we could look at if we really wanted to, right? So, so the idea of being gracious to one another just in the church, and not just in marriage, but in the church as a whole, this is what Paul tells Timothy, be strong in grace. And, and the idea is stewardship. Uh, because he was entrusting Timothy with the same ministry, the same words that Paul would share with Timothy. He was saying, I'm entrusting you with that same thing. Um, and by the way, I love this, where it says, um, the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. 
Man, I love that verse. I'll tell you why. Um, as a, a guy who likes to teach the Bible, uh, I used to worry about coming up with something new uh, and creative in, in teaching. And then I realized, you know, in fact, I grew up, you know, with a, a Bible teacher that, you know, is my pastor who is an amazing communicator and gifted Bible teacher, you know, and I feel like a total pipsqueak around him spiritually on, or on every, you know, knowing the word. The guy is an amazing guy. And, uh, and I just grew up thinking, man, there's no way in the world I'll ever be able to do that. <clears throat> and, um, and then uh, I remember teaching, and uh, he would come to my study. I, I did a Monday night Bible study at the church, and he'd always sit right here, front row, with no book and Bible, and he'd take notes. And it was just so humbling. I mean, here's like the best Bible teacher I know, <clears throat> and he's written commentaries and all that stuff. And by the way, I, I, I told you guys about those commentaries. Some of you guys got them. One guy came up to me uh, last time and said, best advice I've ever been given is to get uh, John Corson's commentaries through the Bible. And, uh, and he's just like totally loving it. So if you haven't got those, by the way, uh, we have some back there. Best, best uh, good stuff, man, I'm telling you. He just comments on the Word. It's just through the Bible. But he'd sit there in the front row, and, um, and one, one time he came up, and, um, and uh, I actually borrowed uh, one of his outlines because uh, it was so good. I, it was so good. I didn't want to pass it up, and I couldn't think of anything better. Uh, it was his teaching, but, you know, but I was like, uh, and, and uh, so I shared it, and he was sitting right there. And afterward, he came up and said, oh, man, I loved that teaching. That was so encouraging. And, and, um, and uh, <clears throat> I said, yeah, but it was kind of yours. He's like, what? It was mine? And I said, yeah, I, 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 you know, I borrowed those points from you. He's like, oh. He's like, that's great. And then he shared this verse with me. He said, man, remember, Brett, the things which Paul spoke to people, Timothy wanted, Paul wanted Timothy to speak the same things and, and trust those to faithful men. And, and, and then John said, and by the way, uh, I think I got that from J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and sure enough, uh, I looked it up. He did. He got it from J. Vernon McGee. Now, there's a great story, by the way. <clears throat> uh, I, I digress. I shouldn't be um, getting off on these tangents. I, but um, but Char- I will anyway. <laughs> Charles, Charles Spurgeon uh, was, you know, he was, the, he was the preacher back in the 1800s in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle there, just a solid Bible teaching guy. Crowd, thousands of people came to his congregation. Um, but there was this new young guy in town who started getting popular, and uh, Spurgeon was like, what, what's going on across town there, and who is this young guy? And, <clears throat> and um, he was feeling a little bit intimidated that p- some of his people were going over to this young guy's church. And, uh, and then uh, a few years into it, uh, one of the congregants came and said, Pastor Spurgeon, um, he, he taught a sermon that you taught point for point. Uh, he, he stole your sermon." Uh, word for word, point for point. And, uh, and Spurgeon felt his face turn flush and, re- and hot, and he was a little upset, and he thought, you know, I'm going to call that whippersnapper into my office and call him out on that. Um, and uh, sure enough, the, the young preacher stumbles in. Now, Spurgeon had this intimidating office. It was a wall-to-wall library, and it was just this big, fancy office and big desk. And Spurgeon, big guy, kind of imposing fellow, you know, sitting behind the desk. And the young man sits down and, and he says, young man, I'm told that you, you know, uh, used my sermon uh, a few weeks back. And the young man said, Mr. Spurgeon, I, I, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and Spurgeon said, well, you know, two weeks ago, and it was on this, and these were points. Yes, yes, yes. 
And, and Spurgeon said, you know, that's, that's like plagiarism, you know. And you, you can't be doing this. And, um, and the young man said, I, I, I really have never listened to any of your sermons. And, and, it's, and, and he said, actually, I got that sermon. And he quoted from another source uh, where he got the sermon. And Spurgeon thought for a second, walked over in his library, found a book, pulled it out, opened it up. And sure enough, it was that source. Spurgeon stole that sermon from that guy. <laughs> the same guy. But, and, and see, here's the thing. Uh, it, it's kind of okay in ministry. And, and uh, Spurgeon told that story, by the way, to his students in ministry saying, there's nothing new under the sun. And if it's new, it's probably not true. So you stick with the stuff that's true and you keep communicating. And so let me just say this. Um, you know, I've heard from faithful men who've taught the word and I, I study guys that have preached in times past. And sure, there is a place to pray through and study yourself. And, and, and there are times where you do really come up with some, some thoughts and you got to do that for each congregation, each group. That's part of the deal. I understand that. But at the same time, um, one of the things we get to do is use, uh, uh, stand on the shoulders, if you would, of the men that have gone before us in teaching the word. <clears throat> the reason I say that is because Paul tells that to Timothy, the things you've heard me speak, that's what I want you to do. And I'm going to have you speak them with grace, those words with grace. And uh, you'll, be, you'll be good to go as a steward of what I've been teaching. I want you to be teaching grace. Now, the reason I say that is, man, anything that I teach is fair game. Man, you can use it if you want to, uh, or, or, or some other Bible teacher, uh, radio guy that you listen to, or commentary that you read, use it, man. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, especially if it's the, if it's, it's the Word of God, you know, um, I think sometimes there's a lot of guys that come up with their ideas and stuff that aren't necessarily biblical. Uh, I like the biblical stuff. Uh, and so when you hear somebody teach, make sure and feel free to pass it on, especially in your family devos. Um, you know, uh, I, I feel like a lot of you guys, um, by the way, remember when we had the guys fill out the family devo form? Uh, we passed out that at the beginning of our ironworks. Does anybody remember that? So, some of you? We got none back. Zero. <laughs> so, so we're going to maybe try it again, or maybe I'll just have to write them all for you. I don't know. We'll just do family devos, uh, you know, 50 plus weeks of family devos. Uh, but, uh, but, but here's the thing. Um, on a Wednesday night, when you're here, going through the Bible with me, uh, keep in the back of your mind, how can I share this to my kiddos at home? Now, you might have teenagers that you're thinking differently than the guy that's got preschoolers. But um, just be thinking through. Uh, man, okay, we're, we're in the book of Joshua. And, you know, and Joshua, you know, got defeated at Ai and the whole Jericho scene and, and uh, Achan. And man, there's all kinds of good stories there. And, and, and after going through them on a Wednesday night, you've already got a great chunk of the Bible to share with your kids uh, in Family Devos. And just don't just read it, uh, if, especially if they're little guys, man. Just, just tell them the story uh, and have them act it out uh, and have them run around the table like there was Joshua fitting the ba- battle of Jericho. And, and, uh, but just don't crush the table. Uh, your wife may not like that. Uh, but use the stuff that you're hearing at church, man, uh, or other places. Uh, use it. Uh, share it. Be good stewards. That's first job description of a man of God is to be a steward, okay? Are you guys with me so far? Steward. Number two, uh, the next thing on the list, Paul goes to a different job description, occupation. It's verse three. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Number two, soldier. 
Uh, it says here in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Um, man, to be a good soldier, not just any soldier, but we're talking Navy SEAL, uh, to be a good soldier. That's what Paul says to Timothy. I want you to be a good soldier. Question, what makes a good soldier? Following orders. What else? Skill set. What? Training. Good. Sacrifice. Yep. Integrity. What? Huh? Oh, armed. Yes. That's a good one. Uh, We're going to talk about that one. Armed, trained, faithful, integrity. Huh? No fear. Courage. Yes. Right. Committed. Skills. Discipline. See, these, these are all uh, what a good soldier does. Um, and uh, here's Paul telling Timothy, these are the things I want you to do, to be a good soldier. And, uh, and Paul even gives us something that uh, specifically that you have to watch out for, is being entangled with the concerns of this life. Um, nobody that's uh, worried about this life, uh, is not, they're not going to be a good soldier. Um, and so that's what he says, uh, to be focused as a soldier on your job. No man that warreth, verse 4, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier, which is God. God has chosen us to be soldiers. So as men, to be stewards of the word of God and grace, but also to be a soldier. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing being a soldier because, um, you know, um, uh, there's so many great examples of what a good soldier is in the Bible. I love Jonathan and his armor bearer there in, in the Old Testament. Great story of soldiering. Whenever you read those stories, uh, like in 1 Samuel 14, make sure you're, you're, you're saying, how does this apply to me? Because when I read that story of Jonathan, I see trusting in the Lord, but I also see a guy that with great skill with a sword. And I also see a guy who's disciplined, and, but also um, willing to step out in a dangerous situation and not afraid. Uh, man, I love the stories of the Bible. And Ephesians 6, we, we've been studying and talking about, even in church, uh, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our soldiering is not literal soldiering against flesh and blood, <clears throat> but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. So um, the, the idea is you've got to be ready to, to go. Um, question on D-Day, those of you who know your history, as they were offloading off the ships into the transports that were going to move them to the beach there. Um, what if a guy didn't want to do it? What if you said, I don't want to do this? What, what happened? They're, they're in the boat anyway, and they're barfing, uh, you know, I, I, uh, and they're nervous. And, I, you know, I'm told there were guys wetting their pants. And, like, it was just, you, you were in the boat. And, um, and uh, that gate, that front door drops open, and you had to run out on the beach. And uh, bullets zinging. Um, and, you know, uh, they've tried to make movies to recre- recreate, you know, uh, D-Day. But um, I'm sure none of us, unless you were there, could even imagine what that was like. And um, at the same time, what if a guy doesn't even know he's going into a battle? He's just like, oh, a boat ride. See, that's the man of 2016, frankly. <laughs> I, I really see American men, 2016. Hey, we get to go on a boat ride. And the gate opens. 
you're done because you don't even know. We don't even know we're in a war. We don't even know bullets are flying spiritually, that that Satan's just throwing the fiery darts of pornography. He's throwing the fiery darts of lying and cheating and and being mean to your wife. And and guys are like, oh, and they're getting hit by stuff. And they don't even realize that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness that's super powerful. Like those, those temptations are very real. And so I hope that you know that you are called to be a soldier. And, and man, uh, this is D-Day, spiritually. Um, and I think a lot of guys get hit because they don't even realize, uh, they think they're on a tour of uh, Normandy or something. No, uh, this, this truly is a battle. Uh, and, it's, and it's very brutal. In fact, I'd almost rather be shot with a literal bullet in some ways than some of the fiery darts that Satan's going to throw your way in life. You know, way better men than you or me have fallen uh, prey to Satan's devices uh, and got tangled up in sexual immorality or financial debauchery or, uh, you know, whatever you want to say. Uh, it really is lust of the flesh, lust of life, and the pr- uh, pride of life. I mean, lust, uh, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things that get you every time. So I hope you know you're a soldier. I hope you're carrying your sword. Uh, That's part of being a soldier is having your weapon. And we talked about that, what was that, uh, last Sunday or two Sundays ago. Keep your sword sharp. Keep it handy. Keep it hidden in your heart. Even as Psalm 119, we talked about that a few Sundays ago, having scriptures that you can do battle with in the sword. You guys remember that? If you missed that, you might pick it up. We called it something about the sword, I think. Um, Sword of the Spirit. That's what we called that a couple, was that last Sunday? Two Sundays? Last Sunday? I forget. One, okay, last Sunday. So, uh, so you're a soldier. Number three on the list here. <clears throat> it says, uh, verse five, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Uh, what does the NIV say in verse five? Anybody? Yes, it's an athlete, and you're not going to get your reward unless you keep the rules. See, the word there for mastery, that's a word we don't use as much. It's an old English word that we saw more often. But the Greek word uh, for strive there is athleo, where we get our word athletic. So, so now we're not only a, a steward, number one, not only are we a soldier, number two, but we're also an athlete. We're an athlete. Um, athleo. And uh, it says here, we're supposed to be an athlete, but we're supposed to do, do it by uh, keeping the rules, you know, uh, uh, following the rules. You can't play if you're going to uh, not keep the rules. That's the idea. Um, so uh, Paul, the apostle, he talks about how we're athletes all the time. I think Paul really enjoyed this uh, comparison. Um, and maybe it does strike a chord with some of you guys. First Corinthians chapter 9 uh, Verse uh, 24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race all but one receives the prize? So run that you may be able to obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery, that's the same language, athlete, uh, athletics, he's temperate in all things. Now they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Man, you know, you, could, you can be in the Olympics. And you can get your gold medal, but that's a corruptible crown, if you would. It's going to, it's just a thing that's going to, you know, go away someday. But we get to strive or compete 
for things that are eternal and lasting. Um, Therefore, he says, I so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I. He's, he's, He's not just a runner, he's a fighter. He says, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body and under, uh, keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Um, so, so we're to, to be uh, sort of athletes is the idea there. And we're supposed to play by the rules. Uh, that's the idea. Go with the Word of God. The Word of God is the rule book. And so we run this uh, race keeping the rules. Um, and this is where I think... Um, you know, this, the, the current modern-day church, we've become so accepting of sin, uh, so much engaging. I, I saw a study that was done, um, um, and it had to do with Protestants and Catholics and their views on, are you a good Christian if, and then there was a bunch of poll questions, if you smoke pot, uh, are you a good Christian? And Protestants, <laughs> it was funny to see the difference. If you drink wine, uh, big difference on the Catholics versus the Protestants. But uh, if you look at porn, uh, are you a good Christian if you, uh, you know, uh, get in a fight with some other guy? Like there was a whole bunch of questions. And, and it was funny to me to think of what everybody thought was okay and what wasn't. And, and depending on who you are, or what denomination you were, or what part of the country you live in. Uh, it was J. Vernon McGee that when he was in Texas uh, as a preacher um, the church, man, um, there was something that was totally forbidden in the church in Texas. That was mixed bathing. Do you know what mixed bathing is? Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? But all it was is girls couldn't swim in the pool at the same time as guys. That was forbidden in Texas, man. Uh, there was a time for girls to swim, and then there was a time for guys. You keep them separated. Probably not a bad idea. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But the thing is, that was Texas. But in Texas, after church, everybody go outside after church and just light up. Man, they'd light it up and be smoking. Oh, it was a good sermon. <laughs> you know, and they were just totally out there smoking like chimneys, and nobody cared. It was no big deal. That was Texas. Well, then he moved from Texas and he started pastoring a church in Southern California. And to his shock, uh, at the church he started pastoring, he was totally surprised when he found out that smoking was the unpardonable sin. Man, if you lit up a cigarette, you were going straight to hell. But mixed bathing in a bikini, no big deal, man. Bikinis and guys and girls all having a great time. Elvis, you know, clam bake, all that stuff. That's, that was Southern California or, or whatever. You know, that was, that was and, and he was a little shocked. See, it was just geographically, there were, there were massively different views of what was sinful. So, so that's why we have to kind of go with the scriptures. You can't go with geography. You can't go with Portlandia. That's probably not a good guide where we live here as a good guide of what morality is. Um, as men, we need to let the Word of God be our rule book, and we've got to realize we're athletes, man. We've got to train. We've got to be ready. You know, we could go through the list of what makes a good athlete, um, but, uh, but we've got to be good athletes. That's what Paul says, athleo. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's the next thing. The third thing is athlete, and you've got to play by rules. But also, by the way, athletes have to work as a team oftentimes, uh, working as a team. Well, um, number six, it says the husbandman. Does anybody know what a husbandman is? Farmer, tell you what. That's right. Uh, A husbandman, that's just the King James way of saying farmer. So the next one is a farmer. The husbandman, the farmer that laboreth, must first uh, be partaker of the fruits. 
consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now, when verse 7 happens, it, you have to understand Paul's saying, now listen up and really think about this. That's what he's saying. Isn't that interesting that the Bible tells you, like, it's almost like this is something that's emphasized, even over perhaps some of the other stuff we've already talked about. He says, so really consider this, he says, verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed, that's a farming thing, the seed of David was raised, that's growth, uh, from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, uh, that they may also obtain uh, the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What's, what's the deal here with the farmer? Well, the farmer is uh, to be first partaker of the fruit. But we already know um, some idioms that are linked to the farming thing in the Bible. Um, the seed is often referred to, Jesus talked about it as the word of God that's planted. Now you say, but Brett, Jesus is the seed that's talked about here. Uh, if you'll look closely, it sort of seems that way. It says, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed uh, or of the seed of David, um, was raised up. <coughs> so you're saying, Brett, Jesus was planted and then he was resurrected, buried, resurrected. The farming has to do with that. It does. But remember, Jesus is the word. There's, there's, there's no problem here, right? Where do we know that Jesus is the word? Anybody? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus gives the parable of the sower of the seed. He went and sowed the seed, and there were four conditions of soil, if you recall. But only one of those four conditions, I'm giving you the quick version, uh, was actually seed that was planted that brought forth good fruit. The other seed was plucked up by the birds, trampled by the wayside, or took root but only shallow. And when the sun came up, it scorched it. There's all these conditions of how the seed of the word of God that is sown hits the soil of man's heart. And so in this farming deal, um, the Lord wants us to be seed planters. And the idea is to, to plant the, the seed of the word of God that it might bring forth good fruit. Um, man, I love men of the word. I love men that are saying, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a word to share. I'm going to be uh, quick to open my Bible. I'm going to be quick to give a word of scripture to my kids or an encouragement to my wife, not preaching at her, but encouraging her with the word of God. Man, the guy that's just using the word as a good farmer, and then as you plant the seed, uh, then you'll see good fruit, um, at least 25% of the time. That, that's been an encouragement to me, by the way, um, that Jesus said, you'll plant the seed, 25% of it will bring forth good fruit. Uh, because uh, as a pastor who likes to teach the word, I, I, I sometimes get discouraged. I remember as a youth pastor, you know, you'd have all these kids go through and you'd be teaching the word and your hope was that all of them would love God and graduate from high school and move on in life just being pastors and missionaries and, uh, you know, used servants of the Lord. But then you'd see their picture in the paper uh, with a plaque in their hand and a height chart behind them. Um, I, I, yes, I've had some of my youth groupers with mugshots in the paper. And you think, man, what have I done? I spent all this time, you know. But I, I started to realize, man, if, if only one-fourth of that seed is going to take root, because otherwise there's birds of the air that's going to pluck it up, thorns that are going to choke it out, the cares of this world. There's going to be things that will choke out good seed. And even Jesus said that's the ratio. And if you think about it, Jesus preached the word and people heard it and they still left. And that was Jesus. 
So I'm, I'm not quite as discouraged uh, when I share the word and I see that some people don't really let the seed of the word take root. But I really celebrate when I see good fruit from time in the word, whether it's with our church here or if it's with my family and my kids growing up as I just share little tidbits of truth from the word to my kids. And then you'd see the seed start to bring forth good fruit. But think about it, dads. If you give uh, 100% of the scriptures you've shared with your kids and only one-fourth of that's going to take root, how much do they have? Is there, if you've only planted four seeds uh, this year with your kids, uh, how much fruit's going to be seen there? I think we need to be spreading the seed and just like going, going crazy with the Word of God. I really do. So that's kind of the idea. We're to be farmers entrusted with the seed of Jesus Christ, which is also the Word of God, which is a real key a farmer. Now, by the way, I, that's something I also did. We had a big uh, farm and we had animals, but we also had gardens and orchards and we grew alfalfa. Um, and uh, one thing about farming I learned is you also have to be patient. Be patient. Uh, tilling, planting, watering, prepping, and then waiting. That's kind of the key. Uh, number uh, five on the list. Uh, it's, uh, we are called to be a prisoner. Interesting. Let's take a look. Number five, it says uh, there in verse nine, he says, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. Again, this is King James way of saying he he was falsely accused as an evil guy and he went into prison. He suffered as a prisoner, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, uh, the thing about uh, sometimes serving the Lord is that you'll find yourself uh, in in trouble because you were serving the Lord. And uh, you might even have a hit once in a while in your life. Um, I think sometimes men are just a little bit too chicken. We're just a little bit afraid you know, I, I, one, one thing I, I've seen, you know, remember I talked about the feminizing of the church and how um, one of the things that was lacking when I grew up watching some of these men is they, they were just kind of a soft bunch of guys. That, and usually the, the, the men's men, they'd be uncomfortable. They'd come and hear about this nurturing and singing these praise songs that were very feminine and very flowery praise songs. And the, I'd see the man's man kind of stand there going, what, what is this? And he was real uncomfortable. Um, but when I read the New Testament, I don't see wimpy dudes. I see a guy like Paul who goes and teaches the word boldly. They drag him outside of the city and stone him to death with rocks. And they leave him for dead there. He's under a pile of rocks. All of a sudden, a hand pops out of the pile of rocks. And Paul comes out of the pile of rocks. He's still kicking. So he brushes himself off, goes back into the town and starts preaching again. Uh, I don't think I know anybody quite as tough as that. that that's, like, that's like serious toughness. They tried to kill you with rocks and all bloodied and beaten. You know, there's Paul the apostle. He was a prisoner, him and Silas there in the book of Acts as they were beaten and whipped. Um, but there they were singing in psalms of praise in a prison cell after being whipped and bloodied and beaten. And then earthquakes and the prison doors open and Paul and the guys all get out. The Philippian jailer gets saved and all his family and the whole church gets started. Like I see men that were bold, on fire, and unafraid. 
But today in the church, I see men oftentimes that are real quiet about their faith because they don't want to ruffle feathers at their job because they've been told, hey, keep that to yourself. And the guys whimper, oh, okay, as long as, oh, sorry, don't want to offend, oh. They're just, they're whimpering, cowering. Um, you know, this whole thing of watching the candidate and the whole Donald Trump thing, you know, I think, I think that part of the deal is I don't think people care as much anything about who he is other than he's not afraid to say stuff, even if it's stupid. He just says it. And people are like, wow, somebody actually says something they really think. Now, um, am I pro Donald Trump? No. Uh, I'm not pro anybody, really, except for Jesus. He should be the leader of this country. Uh, I, I'm going to vote, and I've got my preferences. But Donald Trump, you know, I mean, uh, uh, while, while there's a lot of things not to like, you know, he owns strip clubs and uh, uses, drops the F-bomb and all these. I mean, he's got his problems. Uh, I don't know why the Christians are like, yay. Uh, I don't get that, really. I, I can't really get behind that that much. But honestly, if it's Donald or Hillary, whew, Lord, help us. Um, be that as it may. Uh, the reason I think people are latching on is largely it's a guy who, he, I kind of think he's, he's uh, you know how I told you that uh, when I teach, uh, I wasn't purposefully trying to offend or say things that were gross, but I was probably not smart enough uh, to know that maybe some people would be offended by some of this stuff. Uh, I think that's Donald. I think he says stuff. And he's like, why is everybody offended? Uh, and people are like, oh, if I'm offended. But now it's gotten him into all trouble, kinds of trouble. And, you know, uh, but, but the, the reason I say that is um, he says stuff that's just either true or false and good or bad. And there's some ugly things that have come out of his mouth, no question. As men of God, I hope that you guys are not afraid to speak the word of God. Don't just speak your mind. We don't care what's on your mind. Well, Brad, I want to give him a piece of my mind. Don't. You don't have enough to give. We, we, we got to keep that uh, as much as we can, right, guys? But, but if, you're, if you're speaking the Word of God, see, that's the problem with Donald is he's not speaking the Word of God. He's speaking what's on his mind, and so he's being accused of racism and all kinds of other things. Uh, um, and, and uh, you know, that's the problem when you give people a piece of your mind. You'll be misunderstood or maybe you'll be understood. It's all bad. But if you're a man speaking the word of God with power and with authority, then people can come against you and say what they will, but you, you're standing on the word of God. You know, I liken the word of God unto this big boulder. If I give my opinion and then somebody comes with their toothpick and says, Brad, I'm going to push against your opinion, that's their toothpick pushing my opinion. And it's kind of like, ow, stop that. But if somebody comes up and says, Brett, I don't like what you shared about what the Word says. That's like them putting their toothpick on a giant boulder and trying to push it. You see, that's why my opinion means nothing, and, and same with yours. But the Word of God, it remains, and it's powerful, and it's living. And so when you speak something that's from the Word, speak it with conviction. And, and even if they throw you in prison for it, um, I think that that's, that's kind of the idea here. Paul's saying, I'm, I've been a prisoner. I've been thrown in jail. So don't be afraid, Timothy, to speak the word, even if it means you're going to be bound up as a prisoner, to be bold. That's the idea. Well, we got prisoner uh, quickly. Number, uh, what are we on, five, six? Six. Um, Here's a good one, verse 15. It says, um, 
it says, uh, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, I'm kind of going to skip through this for time, but uh, the idea of, is, is number, number uh, six is a workman, um, that we're all to be working. Man, we got work to do. I hope you guys know that. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've talked to some guys, even this last week, how I've got some guys that were looking for, is, Brett, do you know anybody at Athey Creek who's, who's willing to work? And uh, frankly, uh, I'm almost afraid sometimes to recommend guys from church, especially if I don't know them very well, because I, I really only want to recommend a guy that's going to really bust it out and get it done. You know what I mean? And so uh, if, if, you, if I recommend somebody to you, I'm pretty, you're, you should know that I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to really work hard for you. Um, and I, I love a guy that just works hard and puts in a good day. But it, it's funny, you guys all hear it, don't you? Maybe some of you experience, it's really hard to find somebody who's willing to do the work and just be a hard worker. I think spiritually we have the same deficit, that there, there's, um, there's not a lot of workmen in faith. Guys are just getting the work done. I'm so thankful for the men of Athey Creek that are doing the work of, of the ministry. You know, everything from prayer to missions to, to helping <clears throat> with the church to helping with the widows and the poor in our church to, uh, you know, just, just sharing the gospel to discipling young men and, 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 and really even doing the work in the word of God because that's the idea. Study to show yourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Working in the word laboring to the point of perspiration is what Paul talks about uh, elsewhere, uh, that we're to, to work that hard uh, in the Word of God. Hope we're doing our work, that we're good workmen. Um, we got a job to do. Uh, by the way, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, I'll just read it to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 um, says this, in Got to find it here. Oh, yeah. Check this out. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, your labor that you're doing practically for your career. Um, have you ever really given much thought to that of what's, what's that going to look like when you retire? Now, some of you younger guys, you're like, well, that's 50,000 years from now. But you older guys are like, uh-uh. <laughs> nope, right around the corner, buddy. You might be in your 20s, but man, a career just comes and goes. Have you guys noticed that? Your career just comes and goes. And depending on how you spent that career, um, uh, man, it, it, it's interesting. I've watched a lot of retired guys. And, uh, you know, you get your plaque. Uh, you get a party when you retire. Um, but you can kind of say, well, look what I did for those years. And I developed that company or I, you know, I, I built those buildings or whatever. But, but all in all, when you retire, what are you going to be saying about the work that you did? And, I, you know, I found the common thread is the guys that actually saw it more than just their career, more than just building buildings or being an engineer or an architect or a garbage collector or, a, you know, a plumber or whatever, more than that saying, where does my faith and my walk with Christ come into this career? And what can I do with the people that I'm working with to enrich their lives and things of the Lord? 
Because those things will remain. They'll be more than some plaque. Um, there's heavenly rewards. And like Paul said to the Corinthians there, he said, man, the, you know, the work that you do abounding in the work of the Lord, your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. So whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, Colossians tells us. So a workman, uh, verses 15 through really through 19 kind of deals with that, uh, but we got to move on quickly. Uh, number seven, uh, we have um, a vessel. You're called to be a vessel. Check it out. It's verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. What do you mean honor to dishonor? Well, there's a vessel that's a wine glass or a vessel that holds your drinking water, or there's a vessel that is the toilet, or there's a vessel that is a spittoon. Anybody had a spittoon? When I went to Hidden Valley High School, I first was introduced to what a spittoon was. Uh, it was hip at a goat roper high school that I went to. Um, they'd put their spittoons on the dashboards of their trucks, and they'd drive like, sometimes they'd hit it, sometimes they'd miss, their air conditioning got clogged, it was really gross. But, but anyway, <laughs> that's what they did. Uh, some vessels are gross, uh, some are nice, but, but, he says, if a man, therefore, verse 20, uh, 21, therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And, and to make that happen, where your vessel, remember we have, we're, we're, our bodies are compared, compared to vessels, right? So how do you prepare your body to be a vessel that's to honor and not a uh, toilet? It says, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. Um, there, there's a great thing for us to make sure that our vessels are fleeing youthful lusts, following after faith, charity, peace uh, with other guys that are working out a pure heart. That's what he says. Having other brothers that you're with to make your vessel clean. That's part of the deal. And avoid all the foolishness and unlearned questions. Um, man, I could talk about vessel for a long time. Um, but of course, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 is perhaps the, the cream of the crop verse on vessels of your, of your life where it says, um, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be uh, uh, of God and not of us. That's the idea that we have treasure, and it's the excellency of God building in our lives what he wants us to be. Okay, quickly, number eight, servant, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. That is, uh, that is humility, serving with people, not barking out orders at people. Um, the, but the servant doesn't strive with other people, but humbly serves. That's the idea. Um, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. The last one is that we are called to be servants. Man, th these are some job description things you and I need to take, take note of. Uh, how are you doing at being a servant? Uh, it was Gail Irwin, I think, who said, you'll know how you're doing at being a servant when people treat you like one. That's true. 
Um, have you ever have you ever been somewhere and some guy, hey, go grab that wrench for me? And you're like, but am I a chop liver? You want me to, what, am I your slave? See, if, if you've got that attitude, you're probably not a good servant. Um, man, I just love people that are, are not uh, so proud that they wouldn't do a work of a servant. Um, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see men of great stature put on the attitude of a servant. That, that's, that's something that's pretty impressive. You know, my dad does that. I mean, my dad's willing to serve. He does stuff for people. And you know, here's a guy who's like way, way skilled, more than just about any guy I know in so many things. Um, and yet he just humbly puts on his heart as a servant. I see my dad do that. Um, you know, I, 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 I've mentioned this before, but I, 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 you know, my buddy Monty Williams, you know, he's played in the NBA for years and coaching and all kinds of good stuff that Monty's uh, done. But, uh, you know, every time he comes to Athey Creek, he'll come sit down and hang out with us. And, and then afterwards, he's straightening up the chairs and he, like he's looking for things he can help out with. And I'm like, man, you know, I almost like, man, you're a head coach in the NBA. Stop that, you know, or whatever. And, and uh, but he, he wouldn't hear it, you know. I hope we all have that servant's heart. But, but it's so easy um, to think that I'm kind of above all that, just to be a servant. Um, man, are you serving your wife? Are you serving your kids? Or are they serving you? It's amazing how in our culture, the wives just pretty much, like a lot of guys, they're, they're pretty much, the wife is the servant. What would happen if uh, you're sitting down at night, you guys, you and your wife, you turn on the TV, and you said, honey, I'd, I'd just like for you to take the control tonight, the remote control. Some of you guys are going into gyrations right now. No, no. <laughs> Um, just, no, honey, I just, I would just prefer you over myself. See, that's what a servant would do um, and say, man, I'll do whatever I can to serve you to make sure you're happy and blessed. Uh, it's funny how we have goofy little things like that that we do. Um, uh, to get up and do the dishes, ooh, uh, that's, a, that's a servant's heart. You know, and it might just bless your wife to do that uh, once or twice a year. But um, uh, no, <laughs> but all that to say, uh, Think about how you're doing at being a servant. Man, so we've got our work cut out for us. We got a steward. Steward of what? Strong grace. grace. Soldier, not just a soldier, but a good soldier. Uh, You're an athlete, but you got to play by the rules. Um, You're also um, a prisoner, uh, and you're supposed to endure all things as a prisoner. Um, What else do we got? A workman. Oh, farmer, I missed the farmer, husbandman, farmer. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's verse five. Uh, then you got, uh, yeah, then you got the, the farmer, then you got the prisoner, then you got the workman, then you got the vessel, then you got the servant. These are all things for us to consider. Now, I got an assignment for you guys. Some of you aren't going to like it. And if you don't like it, I guess you don't have to do it. But if you're truly saved, um, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so here's the assignment. Next time that we get together, um, it's going to be a big shindig. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get us all together for one last hurrah before summer kicks in. And during the summer, I'm going to have you guys break into groups and meet in small groups of three or four. That's the goal. And you're going to meet on the first and third, uh, whatever day of the week works for the three of you, uh, tw- twice a month, or you can do it every week if you want to. Some of you guys are already doing that. But, but minimally, twice a month through summer, uh, meeting with a group of guys, and um, the intention is pretty clear, and that is to be linked up with brothers, to pray for each other, 
to talk about stuff from the Word, not just to talk about golf or shooting or, or uh, you know, hiking or whatever. That's, that's fun too. You can do that too. But it's got to have some substance. And, there's, and also we're going we're gonna to kick around the idea of accountability. Um, having brothers that you actually kind of hold yourself accountable to, to them, with them. It was Chuck Colson who went to prison during the Watergate scandal, who became a believer and kind of a, uh, you know, pretty big voice on this idea of having men. You got, you got to have men in your life that you're accountable to. And um, in fact, it was Chuck Colson who said, every man should have at least two or three guys that know enough about them that they could put them in prison. <laughs> he knew. He went to prison. So uh, he, he knew this. Uh, but, but, um, but let me ask this question. How many guys already have a, a group like that that you're, that you're meeting? Oh, man, that's good to see. Good. Now, if you already have a group like that, you can you can keep doing that group, but can I ask you to try to get your group of guys here on our next, um, our next Ironworks, uh, even if they're not Athey Creekers, because I'm going to go over some stuff, and we're going to kick around some ideas of what, a, what an accountability group looks like. Um, we're going to talk to some guys who are actually doing it and how it sort of works for them, and uh, kind of come up with a game plan. Now, here's the deal. Some of you guys already have guys like that. Cool. Check. And, and you got your group. Others of you have been making friends with guys here on Ironwork mornings here, and, you, and I know some of you guys are already going out uh, uh, after, after Ironworks and you're grabbing breakfast with some guys. That's great. But if you don't know any guys here, and you're like, Brad, I don't know anybody, and I, that's okay. Um, uh, it's, it is hard to kind of break in and get to know people. So if you're like a guy saying, I, I, I'd like to do this, it's very uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway, um, <clears throat> then what I'm going to do is kypo. He's going to be back uh, uh, just on the other side of the barn doors right there. Um, and, uh, and he's got just a clipboard. And what, what we're going to do, if, if you're saying, Brett, I don't know anybody, uh, just hook me up with some guys. We'll put a team of three or four guys together with you. And the good, the good news is it's only for the summer. Uh, and, uh, and then if you guys like totally hate each other afterwards, you guys can uh, bail out and, and start over. Uh, that's all right. But it's just for the summer. And, and my hope and prayer is that actually you'll make some meaningful friendships and stuff like that. But the, the goal actually is, in fact, to have a long-term group of brothers who could put you in jail with what they know about you. Um, and, uh, and, and that they can pray for you and hold you accountable and ask how you're doing. And you can, you can actually share with each other what you're really wrestling with. And don't put sugar coating on it and don't act like you're a Jesus person in the USA, you know, with shiny white teeth and doing the whole thing. Because, you know, we can play games all day long about how great we are in our Christian faith, uh, only to our own failure and disappointment and demise. It's really good to have a brothers or a group of brothers that you kind of link up with. So that'll be our next topic. And that last Ironworks, we're going to do a big, giant uh, barbecue breakfast, uh, too. So free breakfast. Amen. Bacon, man. You can't be bacon. Yeah, lots of bacon. And, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just eat it up, and then we'll get in here and do that. And then I'm going to give you the assignment for the summer of what you're going to do with the small group. So really, it's only uh, six meetings, really, uh, with those guys, you know, at Sherry's or... Uh, somewhere Dutch Bros in Oregon City uh, that's just opening up. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Abe's got a, a upstairs meeting room at the one in OC that he's just opening up. So it's going to be a good place for guys to get up and do some Bible study stuff. And, but find a place. We'll, we'll give that all talked through uh, next time. Are you, guys, are you guys game for that? All right. Lord, I do pray 
that you would help us with these job descriptions, Lord, that you've given Timothy, that you've given us. Um, Lord, we want to be faithful stewards of your grace and, and your word. And, and like Paul said, the things that, that Paul, Timothy heard Paul preach and teach, that, that we would be able to entrust that truth with other faithful men who would, who would pass on those truths. Lord, help us to be a good soldier who doesn't run when the battle gets hard. I pray that we'd be bold and that we'd even recognize we're in a battle to to begin with, Lord, that we wouldn't just blow off the bullets or the fiery darts of the enemy. Um, Lord, I pray that we'd be good farmers who uh, sow the seed of your word and see the good fruit that comes from it. And, and that we'd endure prison and, and the troubles and not be afraid of what the world might throw at us as we uh, live godly. And that we'd be workmen, studying to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Help us, Lord, to be working in your word. Um, Lord, we, we want to be that vessel that, that uh, holds that excellency of the power of God and, and that um, our vessels wouldn't be full of a bunch of junk that displaces any light or goodness, Lord. We want to empty ourselves before you and then have you fill us up with your life and your truth, Lord. Help us to be men that are full of truth. And then we'd also be servants. Lord, even as you humbled yourself, wrapped yourself with a towel and washed the disciples' feet, Lord, we, we want to be men who are willing to do the, the, the service and, and esteem others as better than ourselves. So help us, Lord. The Spirit is willing on a morning like this But often when it gets down to it, our flesh is weak. So give us strength by your spirit to be the men you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.